Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the One More Jump podcast by Rise Pole Vault. Today's episode is brought to you by PVR. PVR is the revolutionary pole rental app that will take your pole rental headaches and turn them into a well-functioning machine, managing payments, managing checking out, checking back in, managing swaps, managing all the things that we manage as pole rental businesses, which is a lot. Uh, PVR has been super influential in what we do here at Rise, and it is just an amazing tool. Today, we have Jan Johnson on the podcast. Jan is a legend in the game. He was the 72 Olympics bronze medalist in Munich and has just really taken the sport of pole vaulting and pushed it forward. I kind of gave him the name as the godfather of pole vaulting clubs in America. He really was one of the first people that pushed, you know, the private pole vaulting sector further. And everything that we have today kind of is climbing on the back of, of what he's done in the pole vault. And, um, I'm just super grateful for that. We dove into the box collar, the, uh, ever controversial box collar topic, uh, and he unpacked it very, very well and did a great job just explaining what went into it and why the decisions were made and this and that and the other. And it was really, really helpful for me to get a better understanding of it. Um, and we just covered all kinds of different things, you know, his relationship with Prefontaine um, and just, I don't know, lots of cool stuff in this, in this episode. So hope you guys enjoy this episode with Jan Johnson. All right. All right. So we good. Roger that Jan Johnson in the house. Uh, appreciate you coming out here and doing this. This is, uh, you've, like I told you earlier, this has been kind of on my bucket list is to have you, uh, come in and do the podcast. I grew up watching all the sky systems. I attended one of your camps at Maine South, wow. um, way yeah. back in the day, probably like Oh four Oh five. Me and Jim Lonergan. Jim Lonergan, big yep. Jim Lonergan. Yep. Actually, he's Great been guy. over here. He's been yep. over here. I don't doubt that Rise. for a second. Yeah. That guy's awesome. Yeah. So uh, we actually are fortunate enough to ha- do this in person, which normally we do it like over Zoom. Like obviously if I talk with Mondo, it's not going to be like, you know, yeah. in person, maybe one day, but it's much better because you can, f- you, I think the conversation flows a little bit better when we're in person. And oh, for like sure. That, so. Yeah, for sure. So, uh, I guess we start with, you know, for those people who don't know, um, which if you don't know Jan Johnson and the pole vaulting community, you've been just, you know, living under a rock for the last They might have been sleeping or something like that. You know, it's a long sleep. (laughs) So what's your kind of, you know, like a a synopsis of your your background and kind of where you grew up and how you got involved with pole vaulting? Well, we grew up on Steger Road. On the south, on the southernmost end of Cook County. In fact, uh, on the north side of Steger Road, you're in Cook County. On the south side, you're in Will County. And I went to probably one of the best pole vault high schools in America, Bloom High School in mm-hmm. Chicago Heights, and had a great pole vault coach. But for two or three years before 
I got there, we jumped in our barn. We lived on 40 acres, and I jumped hay bales with a pitchfork in the barn all the time. Really? We would go out and milk the cows. Hold on, is this a real story? This is absolutely true. This is absolutely true. <laughs> Tim, no, Tim and I both. My sister, too. The three of us. And uh, that, that's how I learned. I could jump I could jump two and a half hay bales, two hay bales. Uh, laying on the on the low side, and then one hay bale on the on the on the stack side uh, before I got to high school. How did you like learn that that was like something that you wanted to do? Did you just naturally like, hey, I could use this stick to get over these hay bales, or had you seen it? Starting before? when I start, saw it on TV, watched John Bragg, Don Bragg uh, uh, jump on TV, and said, "Heck, I can do that." And then my dad's a plumbing contractor, uh-huh. so we had copper tubing half inch and three quarter inch copper tubing all the time okay but that we would that he would do plumbing with and you, that was a big day when i went from half inch to three quarter inch copper well i was gonna say like <laughs> wouldn't copper wouldn't that bend wouldn't that no, like no no i'm little i'm 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 10 you know 12 years old something yeah. like that so yeah That's that jump with copper tubing, sand floor in the barn right? right so not a box just plant in the sand and just run on the sand yeah, I mean that's how I started too. Uh, we yeah. we used to just string up uh, stuff between bushes and jump in the backyard yep. and yep. And uh, one thing that we did when we were younger that my dad like always uh, my dad's been I don't know if you're familiar with with my dad and his background, but he uh, he's you know it's probably similar background to you. He grew up in a little town in Woodlawn, Illinois, like 300 people down in southern yep. Illinois, and. You know, just figured it out in his backyard. And one thing that he used to do as a kid was like, is like creek vaulting, yep. like, you know, just jumping over creeks. And so we used to go out to a uh, forest preserve by our house and we used to just cut down trees. I probably shouldn't, you know, cut down the trees, but, you know, <laughs> back, back in the day, we didn't, you know, we didn't think about that. So we, we would cut down the trees and then we would uh, jump over the creeks, just run at the creek, plant the yep. pole in the creek, and then, and then, you know, I jumped over a creek. Thing. I landed flat on my back in a creek one time <laughs> on a ditch willow, using a ditch willow for a pole vaulting bowl. Right. Well, you know, to be honest with you, I think that is sometimes I think kids going straight to a pole vaulting pit could be not That's as right. good of a way. I agree. Yeah. That's not the way I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like to, I teach a lot of pole vaulting as you guys know, uh, but I like to teach grass vaulting uh, a little bit first, kind of get the feel of that, holding a low grip, mm-hmm. right? Not having a plan in a box right? and uh, just getting the feel of that. That's just getting the feel of the beginning elements of the sport, in my opinion. Right. Yeah. And trusting the pole, trusting yeah. to, to hang from that top hand because everybody wants to pull themselves up. That's and true. That's, uh, yeah. So why, so at, we're at rise right now. Um, for those of you just listening and you know, I've always wanted to, in that spot we were talking about putting in another pit, I yep. was like, well, you know, for a beginner, a sand pit is, is a great, a great, you know, way to learn how to pole vault. And so I was like, well, we should put a sand pit over there and that creates a whole big mess and things like that. You'd but, have to do a little concrete chopping right yeah, there. Right. That would be some work, in yeah, my opinion, yeah. if you know what I mean. Well, I cut out these boxes myself. Like uh, we, you know, with the jackhammer, you know, cut them and, and jackhammer. And that was the first time I'd ever like used a jackhammer. And I don't ever want to use a jackhammer ever, <laughs> ever again, man. Destructing, like doing demo on uh, um, on concrete is not fun. I grew up 
uh, I'd go to work with my dad starting when I was 11 or 12. He was, like I said, he was a plumbing contractor and I do jackhammering and plumbing work all the time as a kid. Oh, and then gosh. a little bit of farm work and back. And frankly, I think that type of work was good for me because oh, it yeah. makes you strong. Absolutely. Um, and it makes you strong. And, and, and I think in a good way for pole vaulting, you mm-hmm. know, so, you know, and I, and I grew up, uh, on the cusp of the change from metal poles to fiberglass poles. So I was a freshman in high school in 1965 and uh, we, I jumped on metal pole all all freshman year. I jumped 10 feet on a metal pole freshman year. And then we switched to glass sophomore year. How did that happen? I, I, I mean, I, I, I know that there was a transition, you know, from bamboo to steel to, to, uh, to fiberglass, but how how did that transition to fiberglass? Do you know like the background of how that happened? Like who was the first one to do it and things well, like that? Herb Jenks, I think, was the inventor of fiberglass, and uh, they were experimenting with it. And then uh, our friend George Davies was the first guy to really jump really good on fiberglass. Who? So Herb Jenks built the first fiberglass pole. Yep. And yep. where was that at? Pole rentals are crucial at the Rise Pole Vault Training Center, providing athletes the right pole at the right time without the hefty price tag. The problem is, managing rentals was a nightmare, with spreadsheets and logs leading to missing poles and missing payments. We faced a tough decision. Stop renting poles or hire someone to manage them. Enter PVR, the game-changing app that streamlines rentals. Available on iOS and Android, PVR acts like a full-time rental employee without the cost, managing payments, records, and offering a growing list of features to turn rentals into an invaluable service. Interested? Contact support at risepolevault.com or DM us on Instagram for details. Discover how PVR revolutionizes the pole rental experience today. That was in California. That that, that Herb Jenks uh, was the original um, um, catapult guy. Yeah, yeah, catapult. Yeah. Oh wow. Yeah, and That's... then a couple other guys got into it. There was a lot of belly aching about um, among people if the rules should allow the bending of poles and allow fiberglass. Right. All all the guys that jumped high uh, on steel and and uh, bamboo. Um, you know, they didn't like it. And of course, bamboo bent a little bit too, if you had the right size. Right. Um, you know, so we saw, we, we, we saw a little bit of that. There were bamboo still poles being jumped on, uh, my first couple of years in high school, actually. Yeah. And how did they, do you know how they managed that? Did they, did people just say, no, deal with it? I think eventually the rule, the, 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 the world record was changing so many times in the early mid sixties that I don't think there was any slowing it down. Right. It certainly changed the dynamic of the sport in many, many, many ways, you right. know? As you guys probably know, I've worked a lot on pole vault safety, and of course, a lot of that is about, you know, the landing pits and all that type of stuff uh, to make it safer. Mm-hmm. Because, um, you know, we went from sand landing on sand to landing on sawdust to uh, the early fiberglass pits. The, the pit we jumped on at Bloom High School was basically a big 
box, a wagon, the size of a pole vault pit with foam chunks in it and uh, no front buns. With like hard edges? Yep. No, I got, uh, yeah, oh no, I got, I got a couple, of, I got a good, I got a good picture I can show you here in my phone if you want to look at it. Uh, yeah, I jumped idea? 15 feet on that in high school. No front bun. Just plywood sides all the way around, covered with canvas, no front buns. Just straight up and down in the front. And it was it like how how big was it? Like what could you miss? Could you hit the side and like I never snap saw, it in I, half? I don't remember anybody ever missing the side. And there was no regulations for how big the pit needed to be. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. no regulations for that. Well, I mean, you know, <clears throat> so when you introduce the fiberglass pole, I mean it changes the whole safety profile of the sport. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, that Still must today. have been like all, crazy. All, all you have to do is look over there in that wall. That tells you a lot of the story. Right. Right. Absolutely. No doubt. And it's taken a long time since the mid 60s into the 70s, 80s, 90s for people to kind of figure out the resistance factor and go into a bigger pole when you're blowing through and all those type of things. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, so I wasn't planning on getting into this until, you know, later on <laughs> in, so much in to the talk podcast, about, guy. but uh, yeah. I mean, you know, so you're, so first of all, can you explain your position in the safety and, and what, what that all is? Because I, I've, I hear these things from the grapevine and mm -hmm. I just am really excited that I get to hear it from the source uh, today. Well, I, I um, started running camps in 1973 and um, in california I, no our first camp was at bloom high school we ran camp there a couple three years then i went to grad school at siu carbondale and then we ran camps where people came and stayed over over the night and stayed in the dorms and everything and uh that that um i i i, I would see so many oh and then well actually 1970 uh bill hatcher and i were coaching um Bruce Jenner, uh, mm. Tad Scales, guys like that. They would just come and jump with us at, at, at University of Kansas. Uh, we're just helping kids out, trying to figure out how to pole vault. Bruce was an absolute beginner when, right. we, when we helped him, you know. And uh, Tad Scales, who jumped 16 low in high school, was one of the best high school guys. He was a Lawrence, Kansas high school kid. We just, I just, I've always had fun helping kids do this sport it's just fun to me right that was even when i was competing as a world-class guy it yeah. was just fun and that my little brother would be the same way teaching him and the other kids at bloom gee whiz we had at bloom high school during tim's era and after tim's era we probably had there was four or five guys that jumped high 15s or 16 feet at, oh, yeah. at that high school uh they were loaded all the time and it so i, I think the information on technique in the assignment of polls and all that just got passed along from person to person to person. And in that fall, I mentioned a little while ago, George Hamlin, a uh, high school physics and math teacher. He loved it. He, he got it. He figured it out. He helped me, uh, figure it out. And, you know, and he coached, uh, he coached Ike Jefferson, uh, 1959 indoor high school record 13, five, 1959. Wow. 13.5 on metal pole. That's crazy. Yeah. The high school just had a history of it. So I think that part of teaching the method, 
teaching the drills, teaching those things. And they've obviously changed a lot over the years as fiberglass poles have developed and all that. Right. And people figured out technique, but that that's really that's really to me what it's all about. Just fun to do. And what is your uh, role as far as safety goes in the United States. Well, like- D- Dean Starkey and I own the Pole Vault Safety Certification Board website. We started that, oh my gosh, I couldn't even tell you what year. We probably certify, you go online and you study the materials and then you take a test. That's mm-hmm. really what it is. And look at videos and we explain things. And we do a couple thousand, couple thousand uh, coaches a year because there's always coaches turning over in our sport, mm-hmm. you know, right. So that 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 that's really what that's that what that's really that's been all about. And then not long after that, I started uh, working on pole vault safety projects, making the pits bigger. Um, you know, the box collar was my invention. Um, basically, a lot of it was just padding hard surfaces. Right. Do you know about my padded box work that we've done? Um, yeah, so that's one big thing that is is very, it's, so it's, it's controversial. And the thing that, that bothers me is, is this is, you know, like I, I don't know where I'm at with it. Um, but I have a few thoughts on it. Number one is everybody can do your job better until they got to do it. (laughs) <laughs> that's one of my favorite quotes nice comment ever. big guy nice comment I'll, i can't argue that one thank you so <laughs> so i do realize that there are people you know from the peanut gallery that will chirp at you and say well you did this for money or you did this yeah. for that or you did this for this don't forget what elvis presley said what it's all about the money honey if you want to get along with me 1957 and not a goddamn thing has changed since 1957, as far as the money goes, honey. Sorry, everybody. If you want to delete that out, that's your prerogative, big guy. Okay? I'm not going to argue it. Um, well, I mean, so, so yeah, so there, there's, there's, you know, there's a lot that to unpack in that situation. So, obviously, the pole vault is a dangerous event if not instructed properly. And the problem is is that we've got a lot of people that don't know how to instruct. And then we've yep. got some people right. that have no coaches. And, That's right. And then so, so how do you go about trying to keep those people safe? And so I think that, in my opinion, I think that the box collar was, you know, your best effort at that time to pad as many surfaces as possible and trying to reduce the amount of effect that it would have on a pole vault. During my time, we've made the pits bigger. Mm -hmm. We've uh, made the pits longer and wider. Pits only used to come to the inside edge of the standards for many years. For sure. Uh, The pits were only 11 or 12 feet from the box to the back of the pit. And that was all fine in the, in the later days of, of, of bamboo and metal poles and that type of thing. But when glass started, everything changed. Oh, yeah. You could land in a whole lot different places oh, and all yeah. that. So I worked on all those projects and got the, got the National High School Federation to make the pits bigger and make them longer and pad the standard bases 
That was also my invention. I really? didn't, it wasn't patented, but it right. was just something that I showed them how to do. And they've listened very carefully, uh, bringing the front bonds out uh, a measured amount. Uh-huh. I also worked on, and and Peter McGinnis and a couple of others uh, have also worked on some of these projects. Um, so what went into the development of the box collar? Where did you start? Why did you start it? And where where is it at now? Seeing people land in the box, and I'd done, I'd probably done 40 expert witnessings on pole vault accident cases, 40 or 50 pole vault accident cases during my time Mm. of doing this over the last 40 or 50 years or however long it's been. Um, And so I just uh, elected to work on those things. And the box collar was something that we did in my backyard at my Sky Jumpers pole vault club. Um, I took a box. Well, the original box collar was also our invention. Uh, where we didn't pad the inside quarters and edges of the box, or we just had a, you know, a flat piece of uh, it was foam much, that, much thinner too, much thinner, and it yeah. and it basically padded uh, around the perimeter of the box. Yeah. So, but then, but 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 it was obvious uh, in my mind that it because it slides around in the box collar we have today slides around i in my view it's it's good it's safer but it's a pain in the butt sometimes well we bolt ours down yeah and you're supposed to that's what it says in the book but (laughs) but people don't do that well that's a great point so that's a really really good point okay well you're gonna if if i'm i'm not like i said i don't know where i'm at with the whole thing and and i personally if you if you have good coaching you know, that's the safest thing you can do for a pole vaulter. I think everybody would agree on that. But, um, you know, if you don't have people, you know, landing in the box and the box mm-hmm. collar doesn't really, mm-hmm. you know, you could, you could potentially be like, well, it's, it's affecting this or it's affecting that. Um, if your kids are landing in the pit, yep. but then one kid goes up. That's right. And then comes down. Just takes one one bad mistake. One it's guy. Like, no, yeah. I like the box collar now. One guy. <laughs> That's right. Take only takes one guy that tries to hold too high. Uh, or maybe the wind turns around and it was a tailwind and now it's a headwind and you don't make the right adjustments. Uh, or you come down and have a bad plant, or you have a bad run. Or you pick up the wrong pole, or you hold too high on the pole. Uh, you know, there's a lot of ways you can end up landing short. So on the box collar, uh, I just took the old box collar that we had, and um, I added uh, I added those sidewalls that go mm-hmm. down on the inside edges and curve some things out a little bit, and uh, just taped it all together with the pole vaulter's best friend, duct tape, gorilla tape. So such a good guess though. Such a darn good guess. That's BS because I use from gorillas. Think about it. I use gorilla tape all the time. (laughs) I didn't think you knew what gorilla tape was. So there's a joke going around. Uh Oh, I mean, look this white right here. I see what you got. Gorilla tape. Gorilla tape. The whole first facility that we built was basically built with gorilla tape. I love gorilla. Sometimes I do gorilla tape with spray tack. What's spray tack? Well, well, they got the gorilla spray too. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. 
That's, That's good right. stuff. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> we do it that way too. You know, because indoors here, this is one thing. But if you're outdoors and you mm. did this in California or Illinois or someplace, uh, that, that might be another thing. But uh, that, that type of spray adhesive uh, is good sometimes. So you gorilla taped your, the original prototype together. Clean it up, little light, little light layer of, uh, of spray tack and then let it, let it dry for a few hours and then uh-huh. put gorilla tape on top of it. Sticks even better. That's what I'm talking about. Don't ever tell the gorillas I said that, though. (laughs) I don't want them coming by my place, you know, looking me up. You know what I'm talking about? Uh You know, and a lot of those gorilla tapes, you know, they have United and American Airline frequent flyer miles, which, of course, that means they can go anywhere pretty much any time they want. (laughs) Yeah, the the gorilla tape is is legit. So you you took your idea, you you took your original box collar idea, which I think, so a lot of people will be like, oh, yeah. Uh, just go back to the original box collar. Now, I do have a case study personally. Mm-hmm. Um, my middle brother, Josh, broke his back with the original got box collar, like broke his lower back just because he landed, you know, on on that edge, you know, and, and it probably just wasn't thick enough. And I'm, I wonder if that would have happened with the new one. The new one, I think, probably would have protected that. Good question. But... The old box collar, I think it was it was better than nothing, but um, I wonder if people would argue that this one, if you land in the box, is safer than the last one. You probably couldn't argue that it's not safer if you land in the box. Cushioning on the top edges is on the inside walls is thick. In fact, I'll just tell you a little story. So here, I've, so for a year and a half, we jumped on my prototypes on the box collar uh-huh. at my place. Okay. And then I showed it to Dave Hodge, who's mm-hmm. the guy at Gill Athletics, who I coached in high school, my, I might add. He's my, he's my, uh, one of my dad's best friends. There you go. They, they grew up Great together. guy. They grew up Great together. Great guy. Awesome. Yeah. Southern Illinois guy. Yeah. And I showed it to him and we filed a patent on it and uh, won it. And uh, then during that time frame, um, we did impact testing, force impact testing on it. And uh, we tested the inside walls, the top edges. And you want to know the truth? The box collar they came up with was thicker on the inside padding on the walls than I wanted. And I Mm -hmm. belly ached and bitched about it and bitched about it. And they came out with it anyway. Is that right? And, and why uh, and why did you not want it that thick? I just thought it was uh, coming into the middle of the box too much, and I felt like it was going to move around. If it was going to move around, it was going to be a problem, and that's what it looks like sometimes to me. And that's so. what. So that's why I think it's really important that we talk to you today, and people understand this because. People would have never thought that. They would have never known that if we would have talked. It's not something I go out and tell everybody, but yeah. Well, but that's the thing is that it's like, okay, well, you know, yeah. you didn't want that. Because that's the biggest argument is like, well, it's making the box narrower and then it's unsafe because people can't plant into it. The, well, problem, the problem was not with me and Gill Athletics. The problem was with, with uh, ASTM. What's that? The American Society for Testing and Materials. You see, there's an ASTM for almost everything uh, that's done in construction today. In those in those uh, metal posts right there, there's an ASTM for it. 
for the rubber track surfacing. There's an ASTM for it, for uh, what the structure's like on those, uh, on those uh, you know, metal seats over there. Uh, ASTM, uh, I've been a member of for over 30 years. There's an ASTM for the pole vault pit. There's an ASTM for uh, the box collar. There's an ASTM for all kinds of things out there. I tried to make an ASTM for the pole vaulting poles and for the uh, assignment of weight values and the way that is done. And I could never get it through because of the other big thing that Elvis Presley never sang about. What's that? Politics. Uh huh. See, the big three is politics, sex, and money. As you guys probably know. Or maybe I had that in the reverse order. Sex, (laughs) politics, and money. No, money, sex, and politics. Okay, anyway, that's what happens. You see, the manufacturers and people who are truly interested in it, uh, in these type of things, they have a meeting a couple of times a year. Actually, the pole vault subcommittee, F08.67, meets one time a year. And it's about making the sport safer, but it's also a lot about politics. And politics as in, um, so this ASTM, this means that there's a standard, this means that there's a standard for like the foam in a pole vault. Correct. And there's a standard. How thick it is, how how soft it is, what the impact attenuation is. You see an impact attenuation, uh, there's a, there's a machine, um, that has a that has a ball on uh, on a on a wire, uh, and it's about the size of a human head. Mm-hmm. And you can drop that ball from any height you want, pretty much all the way up to about thirteen feet. And uh, it tells you um, it tells you it measures the impact on things. So if we drop that ball onto that concrete floor over there, right. Uh, from the impact height that we use in pole vaulting, which is 12 and a half feet, uh, it would measure around 10,000 HIC, head injury criteria. The abbreviation is HIC. Mm. And, uh, if, and if we dropped it onto this rubber uh, track surface here on a floor, that would be about 8,500 HIC. Mm. 3,000 HIC in inju- a hit of 3,000 HIC is almost certain death Jeez. in an impact. Uh-oh. No, that's, and we're yeah. talking 10,000 on concrete and the concrete that's around the box and every goddamn pole vault box in the world, damn near every pole vault box in the world is inserted in the ground. How? Uh, that's right. Plate steel right. sunk in concrete. concrete. Yeah. That's how dangerous it is. And we're not even talking about the edges yet. We're just talking about a flat surface. So uh, when there's I... there's a different stress tw- from the edges. That's right. Okay. And, of course, an edge is putting a lot more force onto this one right, than right, a flat right. surface. Yeah, yeah. So 25 years ago, my good friend Eddie Cease, a pole vaulter friend of mine from the Bay Area, says, Hey, Jan Johnson, you should... Uh, you should get involved with the American Society in Testing Materials, ASTM. Right. That's what we should do. And so for 10 or 15 years, he and I worked on it. And uh, I learned about and did a bunch of impact testing on different materials and things so that we set those things up. It was a lot of work. I'd How drive long up. did it take 
from the beginning of the develop like the idea of you gorilla taping this let's do the new box collar the the current one yeah so from you gorilla taping it until you finally get the patent and then this new uh rule comes into effect how long was that it's probably five four three to five years i don't remember exactly but yeah it took about that long to go through astm and we're doing the same thing on the box right now yeah, I want to get to the box. There's well, we should talk. We should. Yeah, I, I agree. We should talk about it, but we should talk about other things right now. It's gotten too serious. In yeah. here. <laughs> no, it's, but it's, I think it's, it's important because some people don't know that they, they they just don't understand what goes on. Well, and I mean, I think the biggest thing is is just like uh, you know, what do you say to people who say you know you did that just so you can make money? If they understood how much time was involved in it, because mm-hmm. those people have no time involved, uh, if they understood how much money is involved in it, in the development of it. Now, the box collar, yeah, that was my initial invention, and I showed it to Gil, and they loved it. Uh, and they took they, they basically took it over after that, and we shared the patent. But we still had all this impact testing and 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 watching it get jumped on and all that was done in our at our club right we d- went through several prototypes the prototypes that i wanted unfortunately didn't make it through ASTM because the guys at ASTM wanted the, the wanted the material to be thicker uh, on the inside walls <clears throat> right right yeah i think um not everybody that's involved in making the rules is interested in making it safer. Some of them are just involved in money and who owns things and stuff like that. And that right. makes sense if you think about it, you know. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, that's kind of how business works is you find a problem and then you find a product thing that's that right. fixes the problem. That's right. And then if you're if you do that, then you mm. you know you become a beneficiary of mm. that product because of the time and things that you put into it. So mm-hmm. I think it's it's just uh, I don't know. It, look at it, look at pole vaulting poles, for instance. Now there's no ASTM for pole vaulting poles, but if you look at how yeah. much more you can bend pole vaulting poles today in today's world than you could when I was at the world-class level. It's ridiculous. Right. We'd raise our grip and the pole would break. I, did, I had four or five of those type of accidents. Right. Well, that makes you not want to raise your grip anymore. Right. It, makes you, it makes you a little bit unhappy about pole bowling. But you, when you look at how much Mondo is bending the pole and the other guys that are jumping 18, 19 feet in today's world, um, they're not running any faster. They're not jumping up or planting any better. They can just bend the pole more because the manufacturers are making the poles better so they can be bent more. Right. But there's no ASTM for that. And do you think there should be? I don't know if you can do it or not. Right, because it's lo- just such a variable thing. I did a lot of work on the assigning of weight values and trying to get that through ASTM and I failed. Mm. That was five or six years of work to try to do that. Really? I still have all the data. I've got everything I can send it all to you. Uh, it made perfect sense, but I couldn't get it done. They didn't want to do it. They'd vote against it because it ends, it ends up, it comes down to a vote. 
at the subcommittee level. That's the pole vault group. Mm-hmm. And then it goes to the main group and it comes down to a vote there. Mm-hmm. It's, it's very similar to what happens in the United States Congress, I guess. Right. Yeah. yeah. It, it is. It's, it, it, that's really how it works. So what is your opinion on, uh, well, about like weight labels and things like that, because I, I run into it as a coach. I run into that problem a lot. Hey, where, hey, hey, hey. Uh-oh. <laughs> yeah. Okay, bring it, big boy. Come on, bring it. It's a big, it's, You're it's, not, hey. it's an uh-oh. I, I run into that uh-oh. problem all the time is, <clears throat> is it's just like, uh, you know, teaching people to, mm-hmm. to properly bend the pole. I don't know if you're familiar with Tim Riley. Yeah, um, sure. Yeah. Yep. So I, I, uh, did a podcast with Tim Riley and we kind of discussed about how, you know, there are certain times as a coach that it makes sense for an athlete to vault on a pole, potentially under their body weight, depending on where they're gripping and things like that. So <laughs> that, uh oh, that's, that's just, <laughs> So I think that that would be a good conversation is just what, what are your thoughts on that? And is there a way around our current? That's why I worked on that project I was just talking about. And your opinion on it is, is the weight rule. Uh Oh, (laughs) is one of the stupidest rules in track and field. There's no weight rule at the international level. There's That's no weight point. rule at the NCAA level. Great point. There's only a weight rule at the high school level. And they made a weight rule based on nothing. There's no ASTM for it. There was no data on it. The manufacturers for a few years had been putting weight labels on the top of the poles. And keep in mind, you know, when I was jumping in high school, we didn't have any. There was no weights. So yeah. It was just the way it was. Uh, but every pole over there in y'all's wall. Uh, has a weight label on it, mm-hmm. and uh, so the, the the high school federation and I begged them not to do it. I was at I was at two of the meetings in Indianapolis, uh, begging them not to do it, and told them I would work on this project and try to get an ASTM through, and I could never ever ever get it done. And the truth of the matter is, uh, oh, oh, and I have a I have a awesome flex machine in my backyard at my facility yeah uh we flex poles all the time and look at it and the truth is is that generally every six inches that you drop your grip is about 10 pounds in weight value that's the truth that's good to know yeah yeah i mean i didn't know if it was i never ever ever teach kids to jump on poles that are equal to or greater than their body weight. Every single beginner kid is jumping on a pole under their body weight at my place. You Every single one. <laughs> no, I, now you I, guys I, tell me what you do here, okay? <laughs> it's No, it's just, it's very difficult because it's like, it's so subjective. Each pole That's vaulter right. that comes in here is a different pole That's vaulter. That's right. And you... It's like, okay, well, I know the proper way that can help them to pull vault the safest. And the problem is, is it's like, in order for that to happen, I have to jump on this pole, but I can't jump on this pole because it's rated underneath their body weight. I wanted to have a rule that allowed for multiple weight labels, or multiple weight categories on poles, but that's illegal too. 
to have well, more than one label. Browning used to have that's right. a because uh, my dad used to love that one. The Browning uh, that you it's it told you like at this height your weight is this much. They were right height. on it. That's Herb Jenks did that. Really? Yep. Yeah. So that I really I think that that I mean that's that's how it is. Like if you were to flex on your flex machine and you were to put your what's it called the span, mm-hmm. you know if you were to the push width this, of the span if you were to push it out towards the end of the pole, right. it's going to be a different weight than it would be if you brought it in closer. That's exactly right. If you and I are if you and I have a pole and uh, and uh, we're going to carry a, a two hundred pound weight in the center of that pole and we're going to carry it across the across the uh to the other side of the parking lot there and we picked a pole up on the ends and it's bending too much wouldn't we just get in closer exactly duh (laughs) i'm sorry it's well well, but that's so how did that happen how did that how did that rule kind of come do you know how it i don't know exactly how it came i think yeah, I don't know. I think maybe a manufacturer or somebody said something and the high school federation decided to put that in their rule book that you couldn't jump on a pole under your weight. And we were having a lot of accidents in those days. And I could see why uh, I could see why that would be a problem that way. But I got to tell you, we come and we start from a short run of three lefts at my place when you're a beginner right. on a little pole. And when the pole bends too much, what do we do? Get on a bigger pole. Get on a bigger one. Get on a bigger pole and do it one little step at a time on the way back. And then typically by the time you're at your long run, you can jump on a pole that's at or greater than your body weight. Right. And that's, that's, that's really the way I teach it at camp. That's the way I've taught it for 50 years. Truth is. Yeah. And then that brings up the question of like, okay, well, what if you, you know, you, you've heard the stories of, of athletes showing up to their high school and they got two poles. And it's mm-hmm. like, well, this right. one doesn't, this one's not at my body weight. The next one's like 50 pounds over my body yep. weight. So I have to jump on that, that one. That ain't going to work either, probably. So this is, so a solution is, you know, rentals, you know, having a rental think, service that you can interchange poles and poles can grow with you. And high schools can yep. rent poles from local facilities. Yep. I or think whatnot. rental thing has been good. Especially with the cost of poles. Oh my gosh. Right. The cost of poles is ridiculous. Right. Right. Exactly. But it kind of comes back to that same thing we were talking about earlier. Find a problem. Yeah. Solve the problem. Yeah. You become a beneficiary of the of the problem, but it also benefits the the athlete too. It's an even trade. It's an even uh, trade. Here, I'll just. <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to tell you this story right now, but let's hear it. You know, they banned the poles that I jumped on in the Olympic Games. Do you guys know all this? Unfair advantage. 1972 Olympic Games. There's this German guy named Adrian Paulin, who's just a creepy looking dude. I'm sorry. <laughs> right? And we start to hear a little something. We're in Oslo, Norway, and I hear something one day that they're not going to let anybody jump on the blue catapults or the green sky or, uh, or the green sky poles in the Olympic Games. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what? Right. So we are only going to be allowed to jump on the brown poles and the black poles. I didn't think there, there was any way that could be true. And we're in Oslo, Norway. I'm over there jumping in meets. Mm-hmm. And so we end up going to Munich and uh, they make everybody check their poles in a couple of days before the contest. And we walk into the room um, to get our poles to jump in prelims and all my poles are in the band pile. 
Oh this is an God. hour before the contest starts. <laughs> Duh. Now, Whoa. the guy that we were jumping against, you know, was an East German guy. And this guy, Adrian Paulin, I think he was trying to screw Bob Seeger and Steve Smith and I were the two Olympians or the three Olympians. So I ran back to the village and borrowed Bruce Jenner's poles, ran back over, uh, had those poles looked at, and they okayed them. Mm. But they were smaller than the poles I jumped on. So what did I have to do to make the finals in the Olympic Games? I ran from 10 lefts all year. For the last three years as a world-class jumper, I'd run from 10 lefts. In the Olympic Games prelims, I jumped from seven. Hello. And held about six or eight or nine inches lower than I would normally hold. And I was lucky, and I made finals. That's crazy. Gets crazier. Then uh, my friend Kirk Bride loans me poles for the finals, which are also a little bit smaller, but a little bigger than the poles Bruce had. So those poles were already okay. They bitched and collared at me because I was now jumping on somebody else's poles, a Canadian guy's poles, and they had kind of figured it out. But after arguing, they let me jump on Kirk. They weren't going to let you. They weren't going to allow you to correct borrow poles. That's how political it was. Wow, that's crazy. So in the Olympic Games, I take my first jump uh, in warm-ups from ten. And blow right through the pole. It's the biggest pole I got. Nobody else is going to loan me a pole out there. Uh, so I eventually, in the Olympic Games, jumped from seven lefts on those poles and jumped 17-7, which is the highest I'd ever jumped from right. seven lefts on that pole. And instead of holding my typical long-run grip, which is about 15-4 at that time, I think I held about 14.6 or 14.4 or something like that. Whoa. And that's how that that's how it can be in this thing a little bit sometimes. Yeah. And I was 21 years old and extremely naive still, although I'd traveled all over the world and jumped in contests and had a lot of friends in it. But uh, I, I don't I think at that time I didn't understand or believe that the that the politics of it could be that political sized or nationalized or whatever you want to call it. And so that was, was it the 550 plus? Was that the, the pole? Was that what it was called? Yeah, I think it was at that time. And what, what uh, lengths, just cause there's pole vault nerds out there that want to know like lengths. 16 and foot poles. I jumped on 16 foot poles. Okay. Yeah, 16 foot poles. And you're gripping, you know, in that competition. 15, 4. When I jumped 18, the first time I was holding 15, 3 or 4. Gotcha. In the Olympic Games, I was holding about a, about nine inches lower, wow. eight or nine inches lower and from a shorter took, run. You took the bronze yes. in that. That's yeah, I was very lucky. My parents are in the stands. Think about how much money the Johnsons spent. My parents <laughs> went. My They took my brother and my sister. We flew all the way over, you know, to Munich. To watch this, yeah, it was. It's you know the pressure is ridiculous, you know. So, you know, and then of course the other great thing about my Olympics was then about two days later, uh, I was getting ready to fly back to Tuscaloosa, you know, for for school. I'm already three weeks late, Uh, (laughs) right? (laughs) And Black September happens. Was Black September? Well, Sorry. the Palestinians came in oh, and shot the, up all, yeah. the, all was, the Jewish guys. I was going to ask you. I didn't know that was what it was called. So, yeah. So, what was? So, you were you were in there or you were out 
No, I was there. You could hear it. We heard it at night. Steve Prefontaine and Bruce and I are roomies. And their dorm. Hold on, hold on. You were roommates with, it was you, Steve Prefontaine, and Bruce Jenner. Correct. That's crazy. (laughs) That's really crazy. Hey, homies, it's hard to get some better roommates than that in history. I'll tell you, I got a better story than all Clip those stories. That. I give you. <laughs> Jeez. you know, oh my God. That's crazy. You ever look back on Steve that? And and I, be like, Steve is... and I traveled all over the world together. He was always mad at me because I was better at girl chasing. Is that right? Oh, yeah. How so? I was just good at chasing <laughs> girls. You know, girls like me. <laughs> that's, that's why I've been that's... married for 47 years. There you go. Um, um, so yeah, so we were, we're talking we're, about the, we're, uh, we're in the dorm, yeah. we're in the dorm, we're up on about the fourth or fifth floor and the, and the village is this series of dorms, big, tall structures with like patios and stuff in between them. And our, our dorm is probably from here to the end of your wall over there, maybe uh-huh. 200 feet away. And you could hear the gunfire at about wow. two o'clock in the morning. It was scary. That's really scary. Yeah. So what'd you guys do? tried to stay low and stay the heck out of it big guy so you we just, left i left and i couldn't the whole the whole the whole campus the whole thing was locked down you couldn't uh come or go out of the village uh they had all the munich police in there um yeah it was a big shootout it was ugly it so was you're ugly. that so kind of that kind of ended my love for for the sport frankly really for, for competing and so i just seen so too much of that kind of stuff just wasn't good just wasn't good at all politics and that type of thing yeah yeah that's that's yeah. crazy so you're you're laying in bed and so like in that moment like who who wakes well, up first not exactly what happened we were gone we were out and uh we came back and we couldn't get into the front door of the village they weren't letting anybody in or out of the village so um, we went around to the back and we climbed over the fence and got into the village that way and uh, then went up into our dorm. That's how it happened. Wow. That's how I got in. Yeah. That's insane. Climbed over the fence. There's a chain link fence about probably, I don't know, eight or 10 feet high. <laughs> That's crazy, And man. pole vaulters are good climbers, unlike distance runners, gentlemen. Yeah. I'll just point that yeah, out Yeah, I you. could see Bruce getting over that thing pretty yeah. easy. Bruce wasn't on that one. No, that was me and Pre oh, coming gotcha. back. And Bruce was already there. Do you have any, uh, <laughs> Whoops. Good, like any good stories, I'm sure, Uh-oh. with uh, Pre? Many. I'll tell you. That. You want to hear the saddest story? I'll tell you the sure. saddest story first. I was I was in grad school. This is 1975. This is the day Pre died in uh-huh. the car wreck, and uh, I was supposed to go out and I would go to Eugene many times for track meets, USA national championships in '71, Olympic trials in '72, other stuff in '73 and '74, and I'd go stay with Pre at his place when I'd go. Mm-hmm. All the time. We'd travel together all over the world. We'd been all over the world together, you know, right. Russia, Europe, everywhere. And uh, we were just buddies. And it was good. We were very similar. We liked each other. We didn't have to compete against each other. It was all good. That yeah, right. Way, right? <laughs> and um, we come back and, uh, all right, I, I'm supposed to go out to the meet out there. And I canceled at the last minute. 
I had something else going on in my grad school at SIU at Carbondale at the time, and I couldn't go, and he was mad at me big time. I called him up and told him I wasn't wow. coming. And uh, two days later, the story's in the paper that he flipped his car on this big, steep road that you got to drive to get to his place coming out of the stadium and uh, at, 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 and Eugene. And, uh, you know, that's what happened. And St- Steve was a great guy. He was kind of a, a lot of people maybe don't understand it, but he, he was kind of a partier. He liked to do beer drinking oh, contests. Yeah. He was into that stuff a little bit more than I. And, uh, but that's him. He was just a competitive guy that way on all kinds of things. And um, he was, he was like the first, like, <clears throat> maybe uh, maybe the last i don't know he's just like a track and field rock star like that's he, true and and he like that's lived true that, he like lived that life kind of and i think that that's what really yep and there were some great distance runners in those days too frank shorter pre i mean there's a bunch of really u.s had gotten really really good in the distance running aspect of it but i just i, I still pray to this very day that I didn't go to that meet because I probably would have been in that car. His little MG midget, convertible MG midget, and he flipped that thing on top of himself, and that's how he killed himself on the turn at the top of that hill. And I just thank God that I didn't go to that meet. I would have been in that car, no question about it. That's crazy. So think about that for a second. Not good, huh? Yeah. That's good. That's really, really wild. Actually, yeah, I want to go. We're I'm heading out to my brother's jumping at the U.S. champs in uh, Eugene. Nice. And uh, I've been wanting to go and run uh, that pre's trail Mm -hmm. or whatever. Yep. Kind of just see all that stuff. So, yeah, he was. He was. I really enjoyed. Like growing up, he was a really big hero of mine, and a great guy, just awesome, just a fun guy, just a fun cool guy dude. to be with in college. Basically, I mean, that's basically what we were—just two college guys. Yeah. yeah, I went to Alabama, he went to Oregon, but you yeah, know, and I went to grad school, and he was getting done at Oregon. But that—that's—that's that's really the truth of it. What um, about Bruce? Bruce is a great guy. Yeah. Do you still? Are a, you still in contact? I haven't talked to Bruce in a long time. Okay. Yeah, but yeah. I, I guess he's a girl now. I I I don't know. I'm. Hey, that's his prerogative. Uh, yeah. Uh, he was a very 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 serious person. Uh, he was tenth in the Olympics in '72 in the decathlon. Bruce jumped with Bill Hatcher and I a great deal when he was learning how to pole vault. Uh, in the early days. Uh, do you know all this? Bruce mm-hmm. jumped off the wrong foot. No, really? And you could not fix it. Hold on. He like, and actually did pretty well off the wrong Jumped foot? Jumped 16 feet off the right foot, off his right foot. That's crazy. That's a pretty cool story right there. Jeez. You know anything about pole vault and that's a good story, huh? Yeah. Yeah. But he was such a good athlete and he just got better and better and better, uh, I think, over the next four years. I try. Bruce kind of, he motivated me to try to do the decathlon, but I failed at it miserably. I kept getting hurt. And um, that's know, funny. Pull my I, hamstring doing this, pull my hamstring doing that, us, all kind of stuff like that all the time. Not good. Right. We, uh, I got to give, I was on the phone with one of my uh, friends and mentors this morning. His name's Paul. And, and uh, I was like, I'm, I'm having a, a podcast with Jan Johnson today. He's like, I competed in the decathlon against Jan Johnson yep. uh, back in Bloom High School a long time ago. That's I think so, it was at Bloom. That's so funny. And I was like, the decathlon. He was like, yeah, it was, it was like the same, uh, period of time that Bruce was, uh, 
in Montreal. Yep. I've yep. been 76. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So I've that story 76. checks out. So Paul wasn't lying to me. Nope. That sounds about right to me. <laughs> right, that sounds about right to me. I don't know. I just, uh, I just, I should have just stuck with pole vaulting and, yeah. and not tried it, but I, I did try it and it just, just, uh, it's appealing. A like, I mean, if you're an athlete, you know, it yeah. just is, it is, there is some appeal to it for sure. But yeah, well, I could, you know, I long jump 25 low. I could high jump six, eight. Wow. I ran, I ran uh, 10, 400 meters. I could run. I was good at running. Right. Uh, you know, I'd anchor our relays in high school and stuff like that. Um, you know, I, I, I but uh, I just kept getting hurt. This wasn't any good. So. Yeah. Yeah, well, it seems like a, a sport that would really, uh, you know, put a lot of stress on your body. It's also, also during the days when steroids mm. was really in the sport. Uh, yeah, they were testing. 72 Olympics was the first game, so they tested people for that type of thing. But um, I, think, uh, I think a lot of people had figured out over the next couple, three years, how to get around the testing. Right. my, my opinion on it. I, and I really didn't want to be part of all that. I, I didn't do sport. I didn't do track and field. I didn't do sports, um, with that mentality. I just, it was fun to me. I just like doing it. Right. You right. Know, you know, it was just fun. So. You, uh, you know, obviously, uh, don't have to mention any names, but during that like time frame, was there uh -oh. a lot of vaulters? That, a lot of vaulters, that Royden. You, that you know, not that, you that know. I know of. Okay, yeah, I just there so was a lot of decathletes, Royden. Yeah, hey, there, hey, yeah. Okay, <laughs> there was a lot of uh, <laughs> whoops. There was a lot of stuff going on back then, and it's just very. I don't know. It's hard because it's you know there were people loaning each other piss. Okay, well maybe that no, was, was just going on all the time. Else. Maybe that was for something else. <laughs> <laughs> No, no. People were, if you were clean, there were people who wanted to borrow your pee. Really? How much does a bottle of pee go for? Depends upon what metal you get. Okay. Just kidding, big guy. <laughs> uh, no, it, truly though, uh, yeah, I had uh, people asking to borrow my pee in 72. Right. Yeah. Wow, that's crazy. They actually had a little, I won the Pan Am Games in 71 that were in Cali, Colombia. And uh, they were doing a little bit of kind of preliminary playing around with the testing that they were going to do. Apparently, it was kind of the testing was kind of new in the sport. And uh, there were there, there was uh, people learning how to get around the system at that point. That's crazy. Yeah. Did, have, did you ever see that uh, documentary Icarus on Netflix? Mm -hmm. Yep. That was crazy. Careful with that. Yeah, that yeah. was that was crazy, man. Yeah. That I don't was know, a the, really wild the, the, one. I, I, I just I don't know. I just to me, high school was high school was the most fun. Frankly, yeah. you know, what do you think changed? Uh, you know, as you went up from this, you know, kind of having a good time high school guy to college, then to after college. Well, first of all, I never should have went to University of Kansas. University of Kansas was the best track team in the country. Bob Timmons was the head coach there who coached Jim Ryan. Jim Ryan, of course, is a great, great, great middle distance runner. The first prep to run under four minutes in the mile. I think he ran 358 in high school in the mile. You know, many time national champion, couple three time Olympian. I think Jim Ryan made the 68 Olympic teams. 
Yeah, in high school. And uh, they both went to Kansas, and a lot of us went to Kansas, and they were national champs a couple of times at Kansas, and that's why I went there. In the late 80s, I'm sorry, in the late 60s, so much anti-Vietnam War feeling among young people who didn't want to go serve and, and people that didn't want to see people go serve. Now, my dad served in World War II, and he was totally against uh, the war in Vietnam mm-hmm. and what was going on that way. And uh, I immediately at Kansas got into just a war with Bob Timmons over the length of my hair, mm-hmm. how all that was going to be. And every kid on campus is growing their hair out long and wanted that. Uh, and I wanted to. I just wanted to fit in with campus. Mm-hmm. But he wanted everybody to have a GI clip. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm not kidding. Really? He held, me out, of a couple, he held me out of a couple of meets, checked my hair. I had to get a haircut before the Kansas relays and have my hair checked before he would let me go on the field to jump that day. And I won Kansas relays that day as a freshman with my new haircut in 19, in, in, in April of 1969. So you got the haircut. I did get the haircut. I was jumping great and I wanted to go jump in the meet. I didn't want the haircut. Right. Right. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. So then obviously that didn't probably go over very well. And then you transferred to Alabama from there. Well, a year later, I'm jumping a foot higher yet. And, um, (laughs) the Kent state shootings happened where the national guard shot four students dead on campus at Kent state in an anti-Vietnam war protest. At the university, at, at University of Kansas, uh, at the end of April 1960, 1970, uh, somebody blew up half of the student union. There were several other schools that had major uh, problems around the country like that. And schools all across America shut down, colleges shut down a month early that year. A month wow. early, uh, we were still going to go to nationals, and the nationals, our NCAA nationals, were going to be at uh, Drake University. Mm-hmm. And I had jumped uh, sixteen, eight, or nine that year, and I was uh, one of the top couple of college guys. And uh, uh, Tad Scales, our high school teammate, and uh, Bill Hatcher, and I would practice by ourselves. And during those six weeks or eight weeks, my hair got longer and longer and longer. And Bob Timmons never saw me. And then uh, I show up at the NCAA meet uh, for prelims. And he's like, oh, my (laughs) God, we can't let you jump like this. So I promised him I would go get a haircut. My parents are there, too, by the way. And the meet gets... uh, a huge rainstorm hits, so they end up moving the pole vault from the outdoor to the indoor. It's the outdoor meet. Right. And uh, we have the meet indoors, and I set the world record at 17.7, and I never got the haircut, and he was so pissed off at me. It was really? ridiculous. Yeah. That's S- crazy. Is that crazy or what? That's wild. So you did you did that at Drake? <clears throat> That was at Drake University. At that little tiny, in that little that tiny, little tiny field area. house. I jumped in there, yeah. With the, and you run off the turn, it's yeah. downhill, it's a <laughs> yeah. bank turn, and you run off the turn. Yeah, in that field house. It was cool, though. My parents were right there. It was so fun. 
Oh, I bet. So it was a really cool crowd all standing on the floor. Yeah. And there I was with my uh, with my long hair, and Bob Timmons is standing over in the corner. And you could just see the smoke coming out of his ears, man. He was mad. He was way mad. But he couldn't do anything about it, and I had a great day. Yeah, you can't really complain after that. Then right? he kicked me off the team. We went to, uh, he took five or six of us on a trip to the Caribbean. We went to Port-au-Prince, Martinique, Trinidad, Tobago. We went to four or five places and just did little track clinics. I jumped 16-4 on army cots and, uh, on a grass runway, actually, uh, uh, at that clinic. I got some great pictures of it. And um, a couple of us went out one night. This is about two nights before the tour, so we were out there two weeks. And uh, we went out one night and, you know, we were drinking a little bit and all that kind of shit. And we got back to the, we got back late and he kicked me off the team uh, at the Miami airport uh, for going out. <laughs> That's crazy. He kicked crazy. me off the team. So then I called up and he let me back on the team. And I go back to, uh, I go back to KU. I kind of didn't want to go really, but I went anyway for fall semester. And, um, a guy named Jack Scott had written a book about the problems that were going on in college and in high school sports with dress and hair and what you believed in and that type of stuff. Anyway, Jack Scott came and made a speech at KU, and we went out and talked to Jack Scott a bunch of us, several of us, and we all got kicked off the team. That was my final time of getting kicked off the team for going and talking to Jack Scott. Wow. Isn't that crazy? But that's a how that's how the politics were. That, yeah. that that's that's how the uh that's how the cultural revolution was. And that, that book I wrote, the the high flyer and the cultural revolution, that's really what that book was all about. Telling yeah. those stories. You know? Yeah, that was a I mean a crazy time back then yeah. just for the country as a whole yeah yeah you know? that's right the whole yeah that's right well what's kind of crazy in the country right now a little bit for different reasons right. uh, a little bit but we, we're having some crazy times right now that what was that one guy that was the president for a while donald trump dumper trump dumper trump dumper trump dump something like that okay I, sh I, I shut up on that one now <laughs> yeah. moving on <laughs> from that um i did want to get any material here by the way yeah, two-minute break. Yeah. Roger that. Yeah, she, uh, my daughter is, uh, she's a, a, like a dancer, but she's just got this personality that's just like crazy personality. And uh, she went up to her uh, lunch supervisor at lunch. Yep. And was like, hey, can I have the microphone to oh. sing the lunchroom a song? Uh-oh. I was like, holy cow, the confidence of a little kid, man. Uh-oh. And how old is she? She's eight. Wow. Just just like, I'll sing a song to everybody in here. That's really. She doesn't even know how to sing. That's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, well, that's hey, awesome. you know, keep keep that fire going. But yeah, so I guess we can talk about your daughter. How was that coaching Chelsea? And just, you know, actually we were off the, off the podcast talking about her kind of start in that thing. It was pretty crazy. If you want to. Yeah, I think, I think she had watched and seen pole vaulting a lot you know, because of the club, but she never pole vaulted. She, as a little kid, they'd come and play, swing on our rope vault all the time, play on the trampoline all the time. You know, I'm kind of a gymnastics more type 
coach, I guess, in some ways. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, she placed second or third in the hundred meter hurdles at the Cali State Meet. You got to be blazing fast to right. do that. And the three hundred hurdles, she's third or fourth a uh, couple years in a row. And then after Shayla set the high school national high school record, Chelsea comes in and she goes, "You know, you think I ought to try that?" I'm like, yeah, you could try it. It's like November of senior year. She plays soccer and volleyball also. So she would uh, come home uh, after school and we'd start just doing a little short run pole vaulting a little bit. And when track season started, uh, she just got better and better and better and ended up jumping 13-6, winning the California State Meet in her first year of pole vaulting. She'd probably been pole vaulting six or eight months at that point. And then went to UCLA and ultimately jumped, what, 15-7, I think, second right. second uh, in the world championships. But our family's been that way. My son, you know, um, jumped 16-2 in high school and never practiced. <laughs> Almost never. <laughs> He's a surfer. That's crazy. Go, he, you know, he was into surfing, and I was in, and I'm into surfing, and uh, I, I didn't say anything, and he didn't really want to pole vault in college, and the guy was, you know, tall and slender, and you know, could have been real fast, but, uh, and then of course Tim set the national indoor high school record, sixteen seven, uh, in nineteen seventy four. We've had some pretty good uh, pole vaulters in the family, in the Johnson family. Absolutely, that's pretty decent. Yeah, you know, it's really, so. really, really decent. Yeah, that's uh, – I'm worried – I don't know if worried is the right word, but I'm – I don't – people always come up to me, as they probably did you whenever you were a uh, young father, and it's like, are your kids going to pole vault? Oh, man, you know, like they come to you and say, man, wait till your kids pole vault. And I'm like, I don't know. Like I, I don't, I don't want to force them to pole vault. If they want to pole vault, then, you know, they've got a great – platform to do it from but you got to find that thing you like to do right right and i just sometimes i'm like i want to save them from the heartache <laughs> well it's a good point you know it's hard and and i remember what it did on me and and how much of my life i dedicated to it and how much heartache i dealt with you know just trying to be yep the best that i could possibly be yep but then I go back and I'm like, well, they're going to do that in something. You yep. know, you're going to be driven towards something. And, and part of being driven and being the best at what you being living up to your potential is dealing with heartache and let down and, yep. and things like that. Yep, that's right. And so many of the other sports, I think, I think playing volleyball for Chelsea was great. It's good for the jumping. It's good for those type of things. Playing soccer was really good. Um, You know, Clay was the same way. Tim was a really good sprinter in high school. I think he was second in the Illinois State meet his senior year. Those things, those activities make you better, Mm -hmm. give you a better basis, you know, for pole vaulting just that's an, what you want to do yeah as an athlete yeah i yeah. ran cross country in high school you so know, I. I just liked it it was fun i liked it um so i don't know you know i didn't really want to go play football or anything like that i just wasn't interested in that type of thing right so but you just got to find something you like to do if you like to do it if it's fun uh, then you keep doing it and maybe you can get good at it you yeah know? i don't know Absolutely. I mean, I made money. Uh, my red shirt year when I transferred from Kansas to Alabama. Oh, I shouldn't even say this. Let's Maybe I'll it. shut up. 
Let I traveled to so many meets by myself because I'm not on the team. And in those days, you had to register it. And everywhere I went as a world indoor record holder, they're paying you cash under the table. Every single place. That's to the L.A. Times indoor meet, to the San Francisco indoor meet, to the big meets they had in New York, to the summer I spent in Europe. You know? Right. I mean, it was awesome. Yeah, but I bet it that's was. Just, uh, but in those days, you were supposed to be an amateur. You know, today it's a it's a different thing. But right. They would pay you meet expenses, and part of that would be your benefit. If I jumped really high someplace, they'd pay you a bonus. It's just the way it was. Yeah. And it's taken, it took the sport, what, 40 or 50 years from a rule standpoint to catch up to that. Yeah. Can you pull this just a little bit more centered? And there you go. Right there. Perfect. Perfect. Yep. There we go. Yep. Um, yeah. That's one thing that really, I think personally, as you know, you could probably see with, you know, kind of what we're doing at Rise and, and what, what we're trying to do in, in the sport is the discussion around like money and around business. Um, because in order for, I, personally, I believe that in order for the pole vault to continue to progress and get better and better and have better facilities and better poles and better research and better this and better that, I think that there has to be a larger number of individuals that are interested in the business of how things can can function business-wise. And people, pole vaulting has always been, not always, but it's kind of always been like a, uh, you should you should volunteer your time just for the love of the mm -hmm. sport. Yep. You know, people do that. Okay. Well, you know, the thing is, is like with your with your sky jumpers uh, camps, I think that was really the first time in America where it was like, all right, somebody's going to go after this thing and they're going to go after it. It's good. They're going to charge money, but you're going to get a lot of value for your money and we're going to make it to where the education of pole vaulting and the experience of pole vaulting is opened up to more people and things like that. What are your thoughts on just where pole vaulting is, has been in the past, where it's at now and where it should be going in the future? I think because of clubs, there's a lot more people out there they kind of have a better idea of how progression should work and how the uh, how how that type part of the education should work. I, I think that I think that part's really important. Uh, I would hate to see it ever become a club only sport, kind of like mm -hmm. gymnastics is in some places. I guess a little bit, um, you know. Um, I think it's good because we have improved the the injuries are still injuries it still goes on a little bit but but you know we have that problem a little bit still but it it has gotten better um and um i think uh, i think it's good that kids that pole vaulted uh, when they kind of get done with their with their uh, competitive career like to go coach a little bit i think that part's good too that's how you get it passed along it's right. important right it's really important you know what uh inspired you to start uh, sky jumpers and, and just your whole <laughs> business club, what, mm -hmm. you know, that whole thing. In Alabama and at Kansas, um, 
there was kids at schools in the area that wanted to learn how to pole vault and would come to Tusk to, to Alabama to jump a little bit, just jump, just, you know, at, at our practices in Kansas was the same way. And I think that that just turned into the next step, having, having, uh, having a club and having camps. And I think I might've had the first, maybe Bill Falk had the first one. It was either Bill Falk or I had the first pole vault camps in America. And I'm pretty darn sure I had the first pole vault club in America. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I mean, it's still going strong today. You know, I mean, yeah, so I would, I would, you know, definitely say that you are the godfather <laughs> of, <laughs> no, for real, of what yeah. all of this has become. Because somebody like me could look at, at your situation and your club and, and what you've done with it and it could say it's possible. Yeah. Good. Well. It's going to overheat again. Five more minutes. Right, right. We should talk about. Yeah. We should talk about all my work on the and cushioning the plant box. It'd be a good thing to do then. If we're short yeah. on time, a little bit. Yeah, it might be a good. Well, thing. do you? If it's going to overheat in five minutes, do you just want to do like a decent break? Oh my gosh. Okay. Um, all right. Well, we'll just get back to, uh, just really quick. So I think that you're the godfather of what all of this has become. You're the first person who took it and proved, yes, you can do this and you can be employed. You can do this as, as like your livelihood and it can flourish. And it's crazy to see where it's gone now. And I think it's going to, it's just at the very beginning stages of what it's going to be. Yeah, I think you're right. I'm, I mean, I'm 73 years old. Uh, I'm retired. I, I do it now as a, as a hobby. Mm-hmm. The truth is, um, you know, but yeah, I've been extremely lucky that for a decent part of my income and I have other things I do, but, um, pole vaulting has been there and I've been able to stay uh, involved in it the way, way it has happened. That part's awesome. It's really cool. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because it's now it'll be cool at the end of it. You'll be able to see where all of that, all of this stuff mm-hmm. came from. It yeah. came from just a small little thing that yeah. you were doing, putting out sky systems yeah. and showing like, hey, pull on's a good time, man. It's making, a lot of fun. Make, making sky systems videos was super fun. We watched a couple sky systems tapes at the camp in Ohio <laughs> last week. And I sit there now and I look at it and I go, wow, how did I do that? You it's, know, it's insane. The bloopers, the other stuff that's in it. Uh, it was just fun to me. We loved it. There's uh there's one uh, in there. I think it was the 72 Olympics uh, with the big payback, the James Brown song. Mm-hmm. Uh, I forget which sky systems it's in. <gasps> Get but, down with your baby. <laughs> but that I used to watch that yeah. on repeat every time before I was getting You're ready to go. You're cracking me up, big man. guy. Yeah, I, I, well, I always had the love for rock and roll too, you yeah. know. And yeah. I and I, putting rock and roll on the tapes was a lot of fun. It was easy. Yeah. <laughs> so what are you working on now? Oh, I filed and won a patent a few years ago for a cushion plant box, and we've done a whole bunch of work on it. Where uh, we've um, well, there's several problems with the box. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, the box grinds and pulls up. 
you can see it on your on your box over here and over here where all those scratches are in the back and you look on every single pole yeah. uh that's out there um and it doesn't matter if you tape the bottom of the pole up or put a plastic piece on it uh it's gonna chew the bottom of the pole up and i've seen several poles break on the bottom so i want to get rid of that mm-hmm. um if you go around the country, particularly in the freeze-thaw parts of America, um, elevated front lips have caused a whole bunch of accidents. Yeah, that's Terrible. Bad. That's absolutely bad. horrible. That's bad. And the way that the some of the manufacturers design their box, there's a box now, and I'm not going to name the company that makes it, but there's a box now where a pull slide goes down like this, and they got a metal front edge on it that's about two inches long like that. So when the pull falls onto the runway, it's hitting on that metal edge every single time. Yeah. Uh, I've seen I've seen a bunch of those around the country. Well, that's just uh, weakening and making a spot on the bottom of the pole where the pole's going to break. And, of course, breaking the bottom of the pole is one of the worst places you can break the pole because typically uh, when the pole breaks down there, then the end of the pole catches on the front of the pit mm-hmm. and you got about a one thousandth of a second to let go. And if you don't, then you're going to land short. Yep. Um, we had two of those happen back to back two years ago at one of our meetings. Oh meals. my God. Yeah. Right. Uh, so I want to lower the front edge of the box between three quarters of an inch and one inch below the surface of the runway. Uh, I want to have uh, a flexible sidewall and bottom pan integrated with a hard end plate and plate where the pole rotates on the bottom. So the boxes that we're installing where I am is quarter-inch plate steel, uh, but we've taken two inches off of the top of that plate steel, and all that is rubberized around the surface. And I can send you guys info on this, and if you want to do an install here, maybe we'll come and do one at some point. We probably put 40 boxes in maybe more around the country in different places people want to do it stevens point's got one where we do camp next week i wanted to do one up there and just see how it survived in their weather is this the same one as the skydex box it is not the skydex box okay no uh i no uh i i i want to see it where uh the entire perimeter a measured perimeter around the box 33, basically the size of a box collar is cushioned. Right. So you don't have to have a box collar. The collar is That's in the yeah. ground. You can. I, I want to make it where the collar can fit on top of this box. Mm-hmm. I want to make it where the dimensions and the size of this box are very similar. Mm-hmm. Certainly the depth of the box should be the same. We don't yeah. want to change that. Um, so that, that, that's what we've done. So this is, this is basically cushioning the sides and the bottom, we know we can reduce the uh, impact attenuation 90% on the bottom of the box. Impact attenuation. Head injury that? criteria. Oh, I told AS, you earlier that it's, uh, yep. it, it's uh, on concrete. It's probably 10,000 hit. 3,000 hit kills you. We can take uh, we can take the impact attenuation down on the bottom of the box to under 1,000 hit. We and and on the sidewalls, three thousand is the mark that we need to be under. 
That would be the best. Right, because you said 3,000 is the one where it hits catastrophic. That's right. We want to lower lower that front edge. But if you think about it, if you lower your box front edge an inch, Uh then you lose three or four degrees Degrees. in bed cavity. Yeah, so then you're not going to rotate We want to make a bed cavity bigger. We don't want to make the bend cavity smaller. We right. want to make it bigger so the poles aren't grinding right. on there. So, uh, so, so I want to I want to make the angle of the back of the box between 108 and 110 degrees. Hmm. Right now, it's 105. Okay. We're lowering the front edge. When you lower the front edge, you lose bend cavity. We want to open that back up a little bit, and it can go beyond. Two or three degrees, it could go to all the way to 110. That's what we're jumping on at my house. That's what we're jumping on at places that I've installed them. And and the the box, the back of the box is is a higher degrees then. Like so, it it roll. Does it roll easier? I think. Well, I think there's just less abrasion. Right. Right. So the one thing that I would say is that uh, I talked with Don Rarig, who's uh, one of the engineers at uh, Essex, and he brought something up to me that was really, really crazy. I had no idea is that the Essex, the way the profile is, is they don't hit the back of the box, which is very interesting. They, we can they, I can show they, you. What, at what the is end. they? Uh, the, the pole, like the bottom of the pole doesn't hit the back of the box. Now I haven't put like a super slow-mo video camera at the back of the box yet to see if that's happening, but I can show you afterwards that they're, they're very, there still are some little bit of nicks and marks. Um, but they're pretty clean, you know, at the end. So anyway, we could, we can, I can show you that afterwards, but well, go ahead. For instance, let's say we're uh, just doing a swing up drill. Right. And it would just, have to. It gonna, would have to. We're hit. Gonna, yeah. And we're going to land on our back in the pit. It would have to hit. Sure. It's rotating right, right on there. That's so, a would you point. rather it that's rotated on a hard metal edge that's in many boxes, it's a sharp metal edge that it would rotate on? Right. Or would you rather it was rotating on two inches of rubber track surfacing? On that top edge. That's a great point. Yeah, because bending the pole is one thing, but then you forget about the straight pole. So the yeah. straight pole has to hit. You can walk right down here. I, every yep. time I go somewhere, I look, you can see where the pole, the abrasion is on y'all's box. That abrasion goes down three inches below the top edge right. on that box. And, and every other box in America is almost exactly the same. And those uh, pole clips on the bottom, they don't do that much or... Do they help against that? A like, pole clip. Like uh, Where you put a piece of plastic on the bottom or something? Yeah. Well, you just made your bend cavity smaller yeah. by doing that too. Right, so, especially if it's like a thick piece yeah. of PVC or something. So we yeah. played around with using rubber track surfacing, which is available everywhere. Right. If people are going to install this box, it's going to be track people. Right. track installers that already have this material. So we did a whole bunch of experimenting over 10 years on how to do this. Yeah, We put pieces of rubber track surfacing the shape of the entire back of the box in the box and planted on it and pole vaulted like it. Right. We did all kinds of different testing on it. And I can send you guys, I if would you want like to look to, at this yeah. stuff, you should take a look at it. I would, you're I would obviously like into to. it. You give me your email address and I will send you 
five or six Are we pictures. Um, I can send you even some videos of it where people can see what goes on with this thing. Right. And it's like I was saying earlier, um, I have pole vaulting several days a week on my property in my backyard right. in California. I want it to be as safe as it can be. I don't want to have a big accident like that uh, at my home, mm-hmm. but I love coaching pole vaulting. And uh, so that's really why I've spent so many years and so much money. And I showed you all those little prototypes that I was talking about it's amazing, um, yeah. in an effort to do that. And one thing in that led to the next, mm-hmm. you know, and you Whether just went down the rabbit hole. I just kept working on it. And it just ended up being, hey, we want flexible sidewalls and a bottom pan with cushioning underneath it, not concrete. We want a good way to be able to attach it to the runway sub base. That's why we bring the little the little things out on the side so you have something to screw into the sub, sub base with. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, we have to change the... Uh, the end plate angle a little bit because we're going to lower the front edge a little bit. When you lower that front edge an inch or so, uh, that you lose two or three degrees at the end plate. We want to make the bend cavity bigger, not smaller. Mm-hmm. So that's how, how many people do you know that know anything about pole vaulting that are actively working on safety solutions? <laughs> <laughs> Good question. Um, I don't know any. Okay. I know people I've talked to to let me come and install their cushion boxes, my cushion boxes at their place because they see it and they go, oh, yeah, now I see what he's talking about. Right. Um, so that's, that's, that's and, and I think probably most of them have been in California. There's a few in the Midwest and a few in the East too. Uh, and usually I come and help them and do an install uh, and show them what to do. But I didn't want to push this thing until I saw that, it had the longevity that it needed to have. That was my to concern. Last. Yeah. That was my concern. Was yeah. th- there's actually a couple a couple things that or three things that came into my mind whenever we were talking about this is number one when so the pole will still hit the back of the box, the top edges. Yeah. Yeah. Does the rubber like because when when you plant a pole, it, it hits the back of the box, it rolls through the center, and then it kicks out to the side. Mm-hmm. Have you seen any because of the rubber surface on the back of the box? Does that create any friction whenever the we pole hoops out? I, I haven't seen a problem with that. We jump on our boxes with the rubber there. It's the same basic general texture as this rubber here on this on this runway. Yeah. Um, uh, and then we go jump at other places that are not. We're we're gripping the same handhold heights. We're jumping on the same poles. The poles are going into the corners. Gotcha. And then we've also, you know, like I said, we've curved those out. We want to curve out those areas a little bit on the bend cavity. And I'll send you pictures of what that looks like. Uh, I think that's important because that reduces the uh, amount of abrasion or amount of rubbing that goes on on that. And I've got videos of what it looks like, you know, too. So, but you know, you can walk right over there and look at your boxes just like we did a minute ago and you can see what's going on there. Right. It's everywhere. How much of the pushback on something like this is because it 
is going to be too much of a hassle. Hmm. Or too much money. Right. How much of yeah. the pushback is that as opposed to, because I'm what I'm concerned about is that somebody will like, hopefully it's your solution. Hopefully mm-hmm. your solution, you know, works and checks all the boxes. Yep. I, I don't, pun intended. Um, hopefully it, it works. But then if you get a product that works, I'm nervous that it won't be adapted, not because it's safer, but because manufacturers don't want to produce a new box. Uh, They don't want to go through the headache and that it'll cost too much money. Uh, I don't think the manufacturers should even should have a say in it. I think the... uh People that own the facilities should have the say in it. Do they want a safer place or not? Hmm. Do they want something that costs a huge amount or not? We have to keep the cost down. We have to make it done with materials that are commonly available. Hmm. Uh, We have to make it where any coach, or uh, not any coach, but many coaches, parents, uh, grounds crews can do the install. Uh, 99% of the places you're going to have to be able to operate a jackhammer. You're going to have to go rent a jackhammer and probably have a sledgehammer and chop out, you know, that concrete around the edges. And I can send you, we have many videos and pictures of how it's done. Mm, So I would love to see that. yeah, Yeah. I can send you guys that stuff. I, gee whiz, I have a welding contract, a welding shop that has built our boxes for us welding the you know the two pieces together the mm-hmm. flexible sidewalls and bottom pan welded onto the uh, you know end plate um and it really doesn't cost very much to build them right it, it doesn't at all um and uh, it needs to be able to stay in place you see the current boxes we have you can't put them in rubber playground mulch why because there's no way to attach them to the front edge of the runway Every box that's out there now, they have like a couple of little flanges, flanges on the sides where the concrete holds them into place from the middle. Right. Right. So right. we had to we had to get all that worked out too. So that's what we've done. Do okay. you have any preliminary pricing on what a pro, what the project cost would like cost to a high school? The project or the box? Put one in? Is there is a grounds crew going to do it or is a contractor going to come and do it? That's a big question. That's a very big question, <laughs> huh? You know, I'm building the I'm building the boxes for about 160 bucks each. Yeah. They they weld the box together and then I glue the pieces on the sides in the bottom. Uh-huh. And then uh, like I said, you're going to need about 5 gallons or I'm sorry, 5 bags of that rubber mulch, four and a half bucks a bag. Right? Right. And uh, you're going to need two bags of uh, concrete right you're going to put concrete behind the back end of the box mm-hmm. uh where it goes which would that, be under the pit the uh, concrete would be under the pit well the concrete the concrete comes up to about two inches from the top edge of the box and then it's uh cushioning on top of that right in the top surface Right. Okay. Okay. I got you. And then is the plan for this to maybe put it into like a tight 
package that somebody yeah, could buy. That's up to the manufacturers. That's what I've done. Right. I send people a box and I send people a rubber parts if they want it. If they don't want the rubber parts, if they have their own rubber track surfacing, then right. they do it that way. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's options there. Uh, yeah. Very important. I mean, if a guy, yeah, that, that, you know, it's it's just it can't cost too much. Uh, we were talking about Skydex. I'm not a fan of Skydex, and the reason is is because Skydex has cups on the top of it. If you look at Skydex, it's clear plastic with all these little cups on the top. Uh-huh. We don't want the cups to fill up with water hmm. and freeze in the winter in Stevens Point, Wisconsin. Right. <laughs> and then how long is it until it all thaws out? We want the water from the rain and that type of stuff to matriculate into the ground. Mm-hmm. That's what we want. And we want those materials to uh, provide cushioning like shredded rubber playground molds does. It's perfect for it. So I had to watch this for a long, 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 long time in a variety of places to see if the longevity works, if it if and it did what I have, and what do. are your results from that, like the longevity, like in your place in particular, like that you've been using? Well, the ones we're jumping on right now, one is seven years old and one is six years old, and they look awesome. And they we spray paint the bottom of the box well, once yeah. in a while, but, right? Right. But that's it. Uh, I I I I'm very happy with wow. how it's happened. I'm very happy with how it's happened. Uh, we to- we went through plastic. We started out using plastic. I thought plastic was going to be the best to do the sides and the bottom. Gee whiz. There's a lot of pole vaulting in my house. Mm-hmm. We wore out the plastic ones in a month. Where yeah. the, the, the pole would strike. So then, I, and I showed you those pictures. Then I made a box where the plastic was just on the bottom, but not on the back where the pole strikes. Well, we wore that out in two months. <laughs> right. Because it's grinding right there. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so that just made me uh, switch to metal, to galvanized uh, metal at, at the right gauge. Right. We right. experimented with 20 gauge, 22 gauge, 24 gauge metal. We had to take a look at all those metals and uh, measure them to see what they are in inches so uh, and metric so we could uh, put them on an ASTM thing. I'll send you guys the whole thing. Everything, you yeah. can read the ASTM that I've written, and you can look at uh, at the poles, you know, working around the bend cavity. And there's no reason. The only problem I would say with bend cavity is if you make that angle too big. Mm. We experimented from 105 all the way to 115-degree angle. Wow. Guess what? Around 112 degrees, the pole hits. And climbs the to back. slip a little bit. Climbs up the back a little bit. Right. So then we experimented with putting ribs on the back of the box so it would climb. That was right. a failure. Uh, <laughs> well, this so is I just kept playing with yeah. it. It's, it's incredible. And I think I just go back to that thing about the, you know, just, you know, people can do your job better until they got to do it. And the thing is, is, you know... The box collar situation and and whatever else, you know, I really do applaud you for actively putting the rubber to the road and just actually trying, just trying to move it forward. I appreciate that. You know, um, the manufacturers have tried to make a cushion box for over 40 years. Mm. They were trying to make cushion boxes 40 years ago. 
and they gave up. They all tried yeah. it with plastic and they did those type of things. We had cushion boxes uh, that I remember from when I was in high school and college, but they all became failures. And I think the industry just decided you couldn't do it. They gave up. Mm-hmm. Well, um, you're not giving up. I didn't give up. I, <laughs> I, I, I looked at, I looked at the dynamics of what was going on. Well, you have a deep understanding of what needs to happen and what can't happen and what should happen and things like that. I think there's some people that, uh, do that type of work for the manufacturers and maybe they haven't had much experience with mm-hmm. the actual thing of pole vaulting. You know, it'd be a hell of a lot safer right now if we just dug a hole in it at the end of the runway and filled it up with sand. <laughs> Right. <laughs> I hate to say it's it, crazy. but it's true. Yeah. You know, uh, it would wild. be safer. Yeah. They yeah. Nobody wants to do it probably. No, yeah, yeah. Uh, right. That would be interesting but, you know, to try that out. Anyhow, that, that, that's the box thing. And we'll <laughs> see. I'm, I'm, I'm just happy uh, to uh, try to improve safety and try to improve pole vault education. And uh, obviously, I'm still going out running camps a little bit. And uh, that's part two. I'll come here and run a camp with you guys sometime if you yeah, want. Yeah, we'll get that It'd going. It'd be fun to do. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I, I really uh I need a high bar, it. a rope vault, and a trampoline, but outside of that, we'll be okay. Yeah. Just sorry, boy, sorry boys. I, yeah, I, I was just right. kidding about that. <laughs> so I look up at the ceiling. Whoops. We've been wanting to get a rope here for a long time. It's... uh We'll talk about it. They after, told me uh, I had a rope fall in the side yard when we lived on Colima um, in a Tascadero. That was our first rope fault. We pulled the whole thing up and we sold that house and moved to our other house. Just pulled the stanchion up, moved it to a new place and put it in. I moved it around two or three times. Yeah. In some ways, that was no different than what's going on with the box. Yeah. We were just experimenting with how to do rope vaulting because it was obvious that it could be so similar oh, yeah. imitatively to what great we do. And every place I go run a camp, we, we usually do rope vaulting. It's, so. it's the best. It's a really, really good exercise. I just really, to be honest with you, haven't figured out where I, I just to look do in it here. all. I could do it, but it would take some work. We'd have to drill some holes in the floor and put a frame up. Yep. Yep, that's what we'd have to do. (laughs) You know, but I'm really good with jackhammers. We'll talk. Well, Jan, what uh, what else have you got going on this summer? You know, if anybody was interested in going to your camps, do you have any, you know, dates? Going to camp at Stevens Point this week. Okay. And then um, going home for a a week or two. And then I have a big camp in uh, Kutztown, Pennsylvania, kind of mid-July. And then my camp at, at my place, uh, I think it's the 16th or 17th uh, of, of, of July. And um, we're having an ASTM uh, online meeting about all the stuff we've been talking about mm-hmm. uh, come up in July. I'm, I'm a little bit busy this summer. Yeah. But you know what? I just love doing this. It's just fun. Yeah. I don't want to be sitting home bored doing nothing. Right. You know, you still surf. All I do is go surfing and riding bikes. Otherwise, yeah, I surf a little bit. I ride bike a lot of bit. Yeah. Central coast of California is cold water, uh, maybe a little sharky mm. uh, in places. There's been some problems that way, um, but uh, I'm still surfing it a little bit, and then I ride bike a lot of bit. I've been able to stay pretty fit yeah. and uh, not have injuries, so that 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 part's been really good. Good so, for you. And- I, I lift weights with the kids a little bit. Yeah. You know, I don't do any running. My wife is really a great runner. You know, Janie was a great uh, middle distance runner 
at Cal Poly and ran marathons uh, professionally and did really well that way. Won several big marathons back in the day. Wow. So we have fun that way. Yeah, she won St. Louis Marathon a couple times and a couple others. Yeah, really did good. Awesome. No, we have good genetics for sports in our family. Yeah, and reason. I think uh, I think uh, Trey and Chelsea've got some Whoops. pretty good genetics. Oh too. my God, <laughs> Jay, I'm sorry, Trey Trey Hardy, Chelsea Johnson. Yeah, that's gonna be insane. So hello, hopefully the uh, kids come. They come to our house right in 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 their six, four, and two, and the six year old every time they come. Can we go in the backyard and pole vault now? I want to swing on the rope. No, that's they're gonna yeah, be we'll huge. See. That's going to be huge. We just have to live long enough now. Yeah, yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, I want I want to see I want to see what their kids are able to do. Oh, and, that's, uh, hope that, they're doing well. But that part's awesome. Jan, really appreciate it. Uh, and yeah, hopefully we can uh, do this again and maybe I don't know get a camp going in the future. But I appreciate your time. Thanks and for having all me. It was your, fun. All your effort too. Okay, buddy. So hey, right. thank you. Thanks for having me. It was really fun. Absolutely. Okay. It's the one more jump podcast. Rock see you guys and roll. Later. Rock and roll. Ten four. <laughs>